Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Are you ready for the finale? Because I'm ready. I'm ready I am extremely ready. I have been waiting, <laughs> waiting for this moment. Waiting. No, it's this for is a like a bittersweet episode because... It's the culmination of this whole season, but yet I'm so sad to see these characters, you know, wrap up their season. I, I, I want to keep going. I want to keep, I've become very attached to them. I have too. What's interesting walking through this, knowing what we've watched so far, is yeah. this, I think, is a pure season finale cliffhanger, knowing that there's probably going to be a second season that you would have to wait for for almost an entire year because as i mentioned before this was a summer series so i think ted lasso is probably the closest but it feels as though halt and catch fire season one leaves us in this moment of like what is going to happen with yeah. all these characters and i know that we'll we'll talk through it once we get to that moment but this was definitely a finale that was heavier in terms of like Ah, oh, I really am going to miss some of these characters. Not like, all right, we'll dive back in at some point or the adventure's over, but we'll pick up later like with Stranger Things. This is really like, okay, each character started at one place and ended at another and now they're shifting slightly again maybe. Right. So, yeah, I'm ready for the second season when we get to it, but I'm so excited that we're getting the chance to just feast on this finale because there's a lot to talk about yeah and i think it seems like they knew at some point in the middle of this season that they were renewed for a second season i just don't think they would have ended the first season in this manner if they knew they were going to be canceled or if, if they knew it was going to be like a one and done season i feel like they might have wrapped mm -hmm. things up a little neater and had kind of some more closure for some of the characters right and because it was a cable show I think we talked a little bit about the fact that it gets a little bit different kind of treatment in terms of right. like, should it be canceled or should it not had a lot of fans. Yeah. And critical, uh, critical uh, praise. Right. Yeah. But like any cable show, it's expensive. Like it's more expensive than network television, I guess, because you don't get the ad buys and things like that. So it's harder to fight for it. But at the same time, you also have a push by the, network in this case i think it was amc right that said look we're, we're going to commit we're going to commit to these guys and i think this this is a precursor to what we see from netflix and apple tv plus and hbo right. max where you have series that are committed by the distributor not necessarily by the production company my wife and i were talking about a reality show that we get into and we were talking about how we refer to it as what netflix does like oh i'm sure i'm so glad that netflix showed that well netflix doesn't really have a stake in that it's a netflix original series but it's produced by a different studio or production company entirely that netflix just distributes it but it's exclusive to that streaming service much like stranger right. things like netflix I don't, I don't think netflix has a studio i may have been speaking out of turn but i don't think they have a quote studio i think they have a distribution company that 
these other studios and production companies use their moniker to distribute their content. Yeah. In many cases, that's true. They do have a production wing that does do some original productions, but in many cases, they're partnering with other production companies it's, or it's a co-production. So they're constantly you know, making deals with various filmmakers and, and their production entities that they run to kind of co-produce. So yeah, they, I mean, they definitely have executives that are in charge of original productions and they do some of them exclusively on their own like stranger things is one of the rare examples where they actually do fully and wholly own and produce that series there's no other gotcha um, outside of like i'm sure sean levy's company is involved as well but they are the the complete rights holder for that series and 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 all merchandising whereas there are other shows that i don't know if you remember for a while netflix had a deal with marvel where they were doing like daredevil and jessica jones and luke cage that was like a five-year deal and even though they were netflix shows they no longer have any connection to netflix now they're all um moved over to disney so i guess with halt and catch fire it was the equivalent of the stranger things where it was an amc original series yeah produced by amc as the network so that makes a lot of sense that amc would have that kind of stake in it and they're hearing from the critics hearing from the the fans and sometimes it's okay to take a little bath financially knowing that you're keeping your fans appeased because they'll watch other things on your network besides that because you're keeping this particular I won't call it a flagship series it was a summer series but it was a one that had a lot of fan backing and critical backing behind it so you're right I think that based off of what we saw in this finale there was some probably some talks between the creators Christopher Cantwell and Christopher Rogers or whoever it was the two Christophers yeah Christopher Christopher yeah the, the Christophers <laughs> the Christopher squared yeah the two it's like the two Corys, but the two Christophers. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's um it's a great finale and I think it has a lot in it. And so like we always do, we'll just go ahead and jump right in uh, to the cold open that we start out in the Clark house. And I believe this is a little bit after Comdex because there appears to be a little bit of tension with Gordon and Donna. Gordon's doing the dishes, Donna is sort of feeling like I don't want to step on toes. And it's just kind of this fun dance that they're playing where Gordon's still mad, but he's less mad. It's been going on for like a week and she steps in like a little child by like stepping on the Ottoman, <laughs> like, like a young yeah. adolescent says, you're coming to bed with me. I thought it was kind of cute. And at the same time, it helped establish the fact that, oh yeah, we still got some tension here. It's less, but there's still a little bit of tension about what happened at Comdex and what she apparently did or sort of did or partly did surprised that we yeah. don't really get much of hunt anymore i think that he is kind of exited at least he didn't show up in this episode but i don't know if he'll show up in future seasons yeah we no more hunt and no more boz i've kind of yeah sad not to have an episode without boz and it was kind of it no didn't feel special. like special yeah <laughs> i need i don't you didn't have any any new lines to, to, to deliver for us. Uh, yeah, I know. That was yeah. a little sad. Nathan was, Cardiff had a couple of lines. but That's true. Not, he, he, I guess he kind of took the place of the Bosworth, you know, character in this episode in the beginning. Yeah. He's, I noticed it was Christmas time, which I thought was interesting because uh, the first season of Stranger Things also ended around Christmas time. Although this it's one. It's officially a Christmas show. It's a Christmas yeah, show. Yeah, that's this right. Show so too. it has to be. It's that's right. why it's good. All good shows are Christmas shows. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but unlike that final season of Stranger Things where it kind of ends on Christmas, this, sorry, the final episode of season one of Stranger Things, this one, it is sort of, it starts around Christmas time and then it kind of jumps forward into January and then farther, you know, I'm assuming into February, March. I'm not sure exactly how much time passes by the time we get to the end of the episode, but it definitely moves forward in time several months throughout this finale. Well, this episode is called 1984, so you would think it would take place yeah. in the majority The majority of the episode. Majority, at in least in the first half of 1984, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. The episode jumps to Cameron's house, and there's a broken phone and a computer that's being repaired. Don't know what happened there. Oh, you know, I'm guessing it's because... She was ultimately just really pissed off at Joe and all this stuff. I, and, I was um, going to ask you what you thought, because at first I thought the same thing. Maybe she just had a tantrum, you know, destroyed her phone and computer. But then I thought, well, maybe she got raided by the FBI and they, you know, trashed everything. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you're a hacker, what are they going to do? Would They would probably take her computer, I would imagine. Yeah. They, at least yeah. in the in today's world, they would confiscate all of her equipment. That's probably not what happened but my guess is that she was frustrated and took all of her frustration from comdex <laughs> out on her phone and computer but it prompts the phone guy to come in and <laughs> kind of question what's going on and she basically says yeah just fix it and let me know and i'll leave you to it and he sort of offers her a job because she yeah. has wire cutters <laughs> so i think he is like you're and- legit <laughs> Yeah, and I thought it was kind of strange because she says you're going to need to like strip those wires and he's like, oh, you know what you're talking about. And she's like, yeah, use mine. And I thought, well, clearly she knows what has to be done. Why did she even call this guy? You know, why did she yeah, just right? fix it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Like, what else can this guy do that she couldn't do? I mean, maybe she's that. doing a long con like Joe where she yeah. brings him in to get him to offer her a job so that she would go to the phone company and then do what we see her do but later. Like, maybe that's how it. many how many of the guys that come to your house to like do that work have any hiring power? It just it doesn't seem <laughs> <laughs> super likely, but we'll, 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 we'll let it slide. Yeah. <laughs> I know a guy that knows a guy that knows yeah. a guy that knows my boss. <laughs> He's really high. That's up. the level he's got. Yeah. So then we're in the Cardiff boardroom. Nobody's in the office. And at this point, I guess we can assume that Bosworth is in jail. Right. Or at least awaiting trial or something. Yeah. Like we, we didn't really ever get any information. That's yeah. the one thing I would say that sort of disappointed me about this episode. There wasn't even like a mention of him. Like, oh, and you know, now that Boz is, you know, serving a three-year sentence for hacking, you know, like, I, I wish there was some type of information. Maybe that will come up in season two. But for this episode, yeah, I was hoping for something, a little nugget. Yeah, there were definitely some gaps. And I don't know if it was intentional. Maybe it was. Maybe the storytelling said, look, yeah. you're in this and not everybody knows what's going on with everything. But we have definitely, even within the episode, as you mentioned, it jumps forward different pieces and parts based off of what's happening. And you're right. I didn't know at this point. I'm thinking, okay, so did did the FBI say, okay, Cardiff, you can turn your lights back on, you can start back up again? Right. Because a couple of scenes later, the crew's back, everybody's back in the office. So I guess I assume that after all that stuff resolved, Boz has apparently been arrested and he's been taken care of. Cardiff, through this meeting that we're hearing him have, he is talking to both Joe and Gordon, and they get him to give them 
I think a total of eight percent of the company. Yeah, 4% but the, each. The, they tried to get eight percent each, but yeah. they settled for splitting eight yeah. percent. And I did some quick math. He says that when they closed this deal, I think it was was it Computer World? I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. That they would profit forty million dollars that year from that deal alone. And so even if that's the only deal, and they're now four percent stakeholders, they're each going to walk away that year with one point six million. Just off that deal alone. Wow, wow. So that's not bad. Yeah, I think not bad at all. And I and I'm my in my head, I'm thinking, well, this is also a big company, and they do other stuff. Although in this conversation, they kind of hint that they're gonna shift all other operations to being a, a PC company, like make that the mm-hmm. primary business model going forward. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they they don't still have some other revenue sources coming in, you know, from legacy products that they probably will will make some extra money from as well. So it's a good deal. Any way you, you cut it, these two kind of hit the jackpot with this deal. They did, but I think it's really interesting that when Joe mentions that profit that they're gonna make, Nathan yeah. kind of claps back and he says, why would I want 40 million when I can settle for five and just kick back? And he's yeah. not really wrong because he's not going to live forever. So why right. have 40 million? I mean, five is enough for him. Right. How, how much more can you buy? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do with that extra 35 million that you can't do with five? And he already has millions, clearly. You know, he's, he's got a giant ranch with horses. And yeah, he's, it's, he's not hurting at this point anyway. Yeah. And I think what leads to that whole ownership is he makes the kind of absurd suggestion that maybe he'll come back and run it himself, save a coin. And, and then <laughs> Joe, right. Joe and Gordon do that whole tag theme. You're going to manufacture locally or in Taiwan to save some coin? Japan has better output facilities, but the tariffs are tricky. You might be able to do a deal with Intel in bulk if you know who to talk to, but it's the same guy who manages IBM's bulk deal, so it'll take some massaging. Go 286 in the near future and switch to AMD. Bypass Intel. Especially since AMD parts almost always clock faster. Megahertz, minimum bucks. But I don't know. What do you think, Nathan? Man, Gordon's learned a lot. Gordon has become somewhat of a salesman himself, and I thought that was kind of cool. That was. That was good. Yeah, this whole scene was really, really fun to watch, just to see how they kind of took Nathan Cardiff down. You know, not down, but like, you know, he used to have all the power in any scene he was in and all of a sudden he's just sort of accepting this new reality that he knows next to nothing about like he doesn't understand computers he doesn't understand this world this business and yet even though his i think they say his father founded cardiff electric in like 1934 and so he clearly fell into this he didn't start this company so he's been kind of riding on his father's coattails most of his life and just kind of keeping it going keeping it profitable One other comment about this scene is that Nathan uses his name, the last name, as a tactic, and Joe turns that same tactic around on him. So that was interesting. Using the name, saying, What name is on this computer? to indicate that I have the power. It's my name on it. Later, Joe says, Whose name is on the outside of the building? Whose name is on the sign just outside reception? And he goes into talking about, You can be a legacy, selling the idea of. (laughs) You know, you, you don't want to kick us out. You don't want to just kill this thing. You don't want to sell the company. This is your legacy. When in yeah. actuality, he's just he's selling them dung at that point. Because he's like, yeah. this guy knows nothing. He yeah, knows nothing totally. of what we do. And they end up getting 8% out of him. So good on I you, know. Joe. And there's one other really interesting shot that I, I really enjoyed. I don't know if you caught it, but it's sort of from inside the office. All the lights are off. 
and you kind of are seeing the camera far away pointing into this kind of lit boardroom, but like everything else is dark. So it's kind of like a small frame within the larger frame, you know, mm -hmm. and it's at like a Dutch angle, that typical angle that they use in this in this show quite a bit. And I just thought it was a really beautiful and nicely composed frame that they chose to, you know, it could have all just been close-ups in the boardroom, but they kind of chose to, to give us this vantage point. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I did want to add that this episode is directed by a director named Juan Jose Campanella, and he actually is an Academy Award-winning director for Best Foreign Language Film. He directed the film The Secret in Their Eyes from 2009 and won the Oscar. Oh. So, yeah, okay. it, interesting choice for this episode, but I think he did a great job. Well, there's a lot of code in this episode, so that's kind of yeah. foreign language too, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> After the credits, we're in the Cardiff Cubes. The giant test computers have arrived, and everyone's excited. I love <laughs> Gordon's... Oh, it's so good. Everybody is just jacked. And when they open up that box and all the polystyrene yeah. flies out and they go, yes, it's here. That's how I felt when I got my first Nintendo from yes. uh, for Christmas. There was no polystyrene, but I was like holding it up in the hair like, yeah. yes, I won. Won the grand prize. It's so good. I love and it's it. got really cool packaging design, I have to say. I kind of I want one. <laughs> <laughs> just the box. Just an empty box. Yeah. It looks like so a game the... system. It really does. It does. It looks like, a, yeah. like an early video game system. Yep. Gordon gives Debbie a giant, and she seems happy, but little does she know. Uh, <laughs> the way, but the way she holds it to her chest and smiles, it's like it's a she's like a kid at Christmas with her yeah. her new present. You know, she's so I don't think she was expecting to be gifted one, and she seems so elated by this. Like, again, like yeah. she just woke up on Christmas morning and and found uh, a giant present under the tree that she wasn't expecting to get. You know, she just seems. They didn't have to do anything with Debbie. She's not an important character, but I like that they did this. I thought it was it was a, a nice tribute touch. to her. Yeah, she's taken yeah. a lot of crap from everybody. She has, and she's been very helpful. She did a lot of work to make sure that Gordon got that Cabbage Patch uh, doll, or that show that he could steal it. <laughs> and I and I attribute Cameron's updated wardrobe to her. Oh, and that's right. Her recommendation to shop at Sanger's because there's that's always right. a good sale going on, a three for one. Or that was early in the season. Yeah, early in the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> offering Joe some dinner at two in the morning, even yep. though Karen's making fun of her. I like that he goes, be nice. We didn't bring that up. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, right. defend Debbie. She's great. She's staying up yeah. late. So Gordon's wondering where Joe is, and somebody tells him that he's in Bosworth's office. And I thought about you in this moment. I'd forgotten that this scene took place. Oh, yeah. Joe cues up the Apple commercial, the famous one that you talked about in our last episode, the 1984 Super Bowl ad that only ran once, but become infamous for being a game changer. And one thing I love about this, Adam, is I could tell how this scene played out with him queuing it up and them showing a wide shot of them watching it. And then the last like word finishes and Joe quickly stops it. I was like, that's how you get around copyright right there. That's yes. how you get around it. Yep. Because I don't think he ever mentioned the word Apple. I don't know how copyright works or likeness or whatever when it comes to stuff like that, but clearly they could not show that commercial without paying a huge, huge amount right. to Apple. But the creative way to 
reveal it and then show the excitement that Joe gets probably as carryover from Comdex was absolutely brilliant. I loved how this played out. Yeah, I agree because he was clearly the only one at Comdex to get that sneak peek, at least that we're aware of, uh, of the Macintosh in that suite at the very end of the episode. So, and I love how in this scene, he's like, why are you watching the Super Bowl? He's like, oh, I recorded it last night, you know, and, and he's, he's like, well, it's not going to change the outcome of the game. You know, it's, (laughs) it's like, this might be the first time someone said, I'm not watching it for the game. I'm watching it for the commercials. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah, this was the beginning of when certainly it was a great time to advertise long before this, but I think this is when people started really realizing, oh, you can pay millions of dollars and potentially have a game-changing advertisement that gets talked about more than the game itself the next day. Yeah, and that's kind of what yeah. they were getting at here is that no one really cared about that. It wasn't. A, it was sort of an uneventful game, you know, in the history of Super Bowls. But this commercial is what people remember from that uh, Super Bowl. So I think yeah. the fact that he's kind of obsessed with it. Uh, what does he say? He says it's like the most amazing piece of marketing I've ever seen, or something like that. And Gordon yeah. and Gordon says something like, uh, "Oh, but they don't even show the product." <laughs> so it's you know that age-old debate like does it even matter if you show the product if people are talking about it that's the point you know everyone's talking about it and everyone's curious about what is it what can it do what makes it so different why is this going to make 1984 unlike 1984 and all of that and i love also the the little joke about how the girl who swings the hammer looks like cameron (laughs) a little bit yeah it serves two purposes. One, it serves kind of like, oh, yeah, I didn't notice yeah. that. But at the end of that scene, Joe says she does look like Cameron. And you can tell that he's still got feelings for her, right. that there's some regrets and stuff like that. And I thought that was kind of cool. He specifically says, when referring to Apple, they are telling the world that they are going to topple IBM. And he says this about the giant. He says, people will buy it, but will they remember it? And this has kind of gotten him fired up. So he wants to just push the envelope a little bit more and build an app or change the computer. He's like, Hey, we've got a few right. months. Let's it's like, and Gordon's like, stop. No. Yeah. Have you seen this box design? It's amazing. We can't change it. No, <laughs> exactly. didn't say that. But the tension is still there as it has been most of the season where you have this seller who is never stopping his sales pitch and always wants right. to go further and further and further and then you have the engineer who's like, we've got to define done and a box with our label on it and a machine inside it. That's clearly done. That's <laughs> as done as you can get. Sorry. It is. <laughs> no. It is. Yeah. So then we're at TI. Donna is talking, I think, to Hunt's predecessor or maybe the HR person. I, think he, I can't I think he says in the beginning of that evaluation, in order to take on this new role or something, I need to have a chance. So I think he was like the person that's going to fill his position, I guess, whether he's a new hire or somebody that was kind of moved into that position. I don't, I'm not sure, but clearly he doesn't know Donna or any of the other employees that worked under Hunt. So he's got to kind of do an interview with them and evaluate their progress and what they're working on. And this interview really serves for her as a sort of confession booth. Like she's Catholic saying, forgive me father for I've sinned. Yeah. I didn't know that Hunt's name that was his first name. I thought that she was calling him by his last name. I didn't realize that Hunt was his first name because she refers to him as Mr. Whatever his last name was after she says That's right. Hunt. Yeah. Not Ethan Hunt. Yeah. Not Ethan Hunt. <laughs> that would be impossible. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
sorry. <laughs> sorry. She essentially says, I just want to be fired. Can I just be let go? Because she's not happy. She hasn't been happy. And she's making this kind of, I won't call it a monumental decision, but sort of the, I'd rather be happy being unemployed than unhappy working at a place that really doesn't have a future for me. Right. And I think we all, I say we all, those of us that have worked the grind, who don't work for ourselves or who have been part of the corporate environment have had these sort of internal conversations before of wanting to walk into your boss's office and say, you know what, this just isn't doing it for me. Yeah. I've never followed through on that if I've felt that way because my job gives me the opportunity to support my family. But I've had those days where I'm like, is this even worth it? Do I really, I mean, I'd rather just know. I just want to sit in my robe and just think about the best way I can spend my time. Yeah, definitely. She seems happy at the end of this conversation, walks out smiling, and there's Gordon waiting to pick her up in his, uh, his I think it's new, his new Porsche that he, uh, he just purchased. So clearly, financially, they're okay without her income. They used to be a dual income household, and maybe, at least for a little while, they can uh, coast on uh, Gordon's new 4% of <laughs> the company. Yeah, I mean, I think he's thinking when it comes to that i mean i don't think it's, yeah i think well so i think when nathan said you two you two run the company he gave them both big promotion uh, yes that's true in addition to the percentages yeah i'm sure they're getting bonuses i'm sure they're getting increased salaries all of that yeah right so this kind of pushes the timeline forward because not all of this is going to happen a week after comdex right and the decorations have been taken down. So, I mean... And I the Super Bowl like- e- easily is... A, that was at the end of January back then. So, that's... Right. That's a month right there from when that opening scene in Christmas to them looking at the tape uh, right. the next day. So, clearly, we're taking big leaps here. But they're never, like, telling you with a timestamp at the bottom, like, October 1983. You know, they're never... <laughs> they're making you kind of figure it out for yourself. And another time jump slightly is that we see that Cameron is working for the phone company. I think the phone company is called Southern and she's sending graphics via a modem and that hardware handshake sound is in full effect. I love it. So this is really the first time that I think we're getting that kind of technology front and center in terms of mm-hmm. it being kind of a, a reality. I remember, as I, I know you do, we both grew up at the early days of the internet where the hardware handshake, the you were going for like the, oh, do you have a 9600 baud? Do you have that kind of modem? Which <laughs> I you know, thought that was going to be fantastic. And we're starting to see the hints of this where she's able yeah. to send... I don't call full resolution graphics, but just high pixel graphics over the phone line. And that was a big, big deal back then. This is an interesting conversation too, where she says something, I think she says, well, then we, we don't get to be the phone company anymore. Like they're, they're talking about how they don't, the phone company, the manager doesn't really want to go down this path because then they won't be a phone company anymore. And that's what's interesting because eventually that's basically what happens. Phone companies become internet providers because no one really cares about phone lines anymore. They have to s- transition, but they're kind of forced. 
you remember when what was it dsl when everyone was doing high speed oh, yeah quote unquote high speed internet over your phone line it wasn't really that high but compared to a dial-up it was so they were kind of pushed into doing this over time but clearly at this stage in history they didn't want anything to do with it they they just they wanted you know keep status quo because they're making money off of hooking up phones and long distance calls <laughs> yeah interestingly enough this has sort of come full circle with cell phones where cell phones right. do everything oh and they also make phone calls <laughs> right. so they're really just m- mobile computers data holders yeah. yeah mobile computers is what they are handheld or, computers. or uh internet devices i don't know yeah they're, right. they're everything yeah <laughs> yeah and they also allow you to make phone calls. Right. It's sort of the least exciting feature <laughs> on them, but yet we yeah. put the word phone in them all. In because almost, it's ubiquitous yeah. at this point, I think. Right. Just that you call yeah. it, oh, this is a phone. Yeah, I'm holding up my phone, but it's actually right. my my Twitter following machine, <laughs> my, my, my right. picture-taking machine, all these different things. Yeah. Yeah. My video camera. Yeah. Exactly. My video well, Back in the kill room, there is a problem with one of the giants. It's Debbie's to be specific. And Gordon isn't happy, goes off on Debbie. I'm thinking, dude, dude, not Debbie. Stop. It's not her problem. She didn't do anything. Yeah. That This, this kind of, it, it upset me because he was so nice to give her one. And then he kind of ruins that gesture with this uh, snap reaction to what's going on. It's like he can't possibly believe that his creation could be problematic. It has yeah. to be something that the, it has to be, you know, the whole user error it has to be something she did. And she's just, I feel bad for her here. Cause she's just like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm hoping that she got a good model after they tested everything. And they said here, <laughs> right here, this is, this is better. <laughs> we'll take, yeah, we'll take this one away. At the time, there were 100 units shipped to them. They tested mm-hmm. five up to that point, and one had a flaw. So they were thinking, wow, 20,000 units of the 100,000, that's terrible. Like, what could that mean? And so they decided that they need to test all of them so they can at least mathematically lower that number. Right. Joe walks in. He's like, what's going on? What's happening? <laughs> and he's like, this could be an opportunity. And so then he just starts getting more intrusive and says, we could build that killer app. And you know, Gordon's just like, really, dude, come on. And I, I wrote in my notes, because I always do this before I know what comes next. I wrote, did he do something to Debbie's machine just so he can? And I was, and, and look at you. Yeah. Look at so you. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't You're see sleep. it coming necessarily, but I just, I guess we're, I'm starting to see his character and the type of devious behavior that he has. And uh, I'm just going to leave far this, off. this podcast. I'm going to let you yeah. do this because this, you're, you're just too good at this, man. This is awesome. <laughs> I literally wrote that next to uh, the, at this point in the episode. I was like, did he do something? I was kind of hoping he didn't. But then, uh, yeah, we find out what, what we kind of find out what happens. <laughs> yeah. They never really acknowledge it, but we kind of everyone assumes that he did. I'm, I'm You know, right. I don't think he did. I, I think it legit had an issue. And he did. He just took advantage of the opportunity that okay. was there. Yeah. So I feel like Donna thought he did down, something. But... And the, remember the bedroom <laughs> scene? Donna kind of hints that she thinks he did something. I, I don't know. I, I yeah. I mean, I could be reading into I, it. We've got every reason to believe that he would have done something. Right. But he would have had to steal Debbie's machine, <laughs> crack it open, 
and know what to do and know what to other, do yeah and then give it back to her mm-hmm. i don't know i mean she is his personal secretary so see now you got me doubting myself why are you doing that that's crazy i'm sorry in any case it's not working correctly so it leads to this idea that joe has about getting this killer app and i don't know if it's here earlier when he says <laughs> we need our machine to have its you know with the great version of lotus one two three what's that gonna be and Gordon says, it's Lotus 1, 2, 3. Right. <laughs> we, ha- we have it, yeah. We have it, yeah. yeah it's, we, it's that. We, we, have this, we have the killer app. It's whatever your computer has, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but, that, so, but that almost proves Joe's point that that's why it can't be that, you know, because it has to be something you can only get with their Cardiff Giant. That's what he's trying to... And I don't right. disagree with him here. Like, I get that. I understand that you're trying to to set yourself apart and not just be like everybody else, but cheaper and smaller, or lighter or whatever. He wants something more, but it, it's too late in the game, man. You got to, at some point, you got to just got to say it's done. Yeah. Well, this doesn't stop him from going no. to the Cardiff no. Cubes and talking to the programming team about creating a killer app that will ship with the giant. Of course, Gordon isn't happy and that's where we're left. But then we go back to the next scene, which is the Clark house. Donna, is in her robe with her pigtails. She's had a great day of not working at TI. And after a little foreplay and lovemaking, uh, Gordon, as he is prone to do, tells Donna about the issues that he's having at the office. And as you mentioned, Donna thinks that Joe may have done something on purpose. And we can be a house divided on this, Adam. Uh, yeah, I'm willing I- to concede if there's more proof. But at this point, it's 50-50. I don't think there is. Yeah, I think it's all... It's all speculation, but you know, I was a little surprised at Donna's reaction here. It, it kind of felt like she was like saying, "You have to kill him, <laughs> you have yeah. to take him out." <laughs> yeah, like you know exactly. what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you "What is she what suggesting?" <laughs> he needs to have an accident at the office. <laughs> He's gonna trip down or, those stairs or- and break his neck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like getting, getting nervous. Like Donna's trying to convince nefarious. her husband to do something bad. Yeah. Well, back at the telephone company, Cameron is trying to convince her boss to manipulate the phone lines to open up a wider network. As you mentioned earlier, her boss is like, no, we can't do that. And who do you work for? You communist. What's going on with you? <laughs> right. And I love the line to finish it out as she quit. She goes, nobody. <laughs> she just yeah. puts her badge down. And I, I think this is great. I, I love how Mackenzie Davis looks. She doesn't look disheveled. She doesn't look like she's been working too hard. I mean, she looks very confident. She's dressed. She's not dressed like she's supposed to be at work. She's dressed comfortably, but not like a little kid. Right. And then as she's talking to her boss, in no way is she trying to push like overly. She's like, you know, we can do this. This would be cool. And when he said, look, I, I can't do this. She's like, okay. And then she puts her badge down, like no hard feelings. And I thought, what a cool thing. Cause I think there's a parallel path that as we find out, most of these characters are going on where they started with something or they are in a comfortable place and they have to make a hard decision to do something uncomfortable by the end of the episode. Right. And I think more so she and Donna are on kind of parallel paths where they both are in the office of their bosses and they basically say, okay, I think it's okay for me to leave now. 
and yeah. they do. But and, yeah. and we find out kind of how those paths cross later on. Right. And I think she's so confident in talking with her boss here because she knows more than him. Like she's smarter than him and and she knows it. He probably knows it too, you know. There's nobody at that telephone company that probably knows anything about modems and the concept of sending data through a phone line. So, or it's very unlikely. They're Again, they're old school. They know what they know and that's it. So she's kind of coming in here trying to shake things up and suggest that phone lines could be utilized in a, in a completely different way. And so if, if this guy doesn't understand or can't, can't see the potential, why is she wasting her time working there? Yeah. Lots of pushback on folks that don't want to rock the boat. Like yeah, I think they want to. They like the status quo. You know, people yep. people don't like change. So we get a quick scene back at the Clark House. Donna finds some pot, I think, while putting her work <laughs> stuff in boxes, and I think that's qualified or uh, confirmed later when she's yeah eating eating generic Oreos and smiling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is great. And I think what I thought was funny is that we used to have generic Oreos. But they were called, I think, Hydrox growing up. I don't know if you ever had Hydrox. Hydrox. That sounds like a medicine. Yeah, yeah it's horrible. The worst name ever. But I, I never heard of uh, of this brand of generic Oreos. What was it called? Did you write it down? Uh, yeah, they were called like Twist O's. Like twist you twist, okay. like you twist them yeah. off, like the you know, so you can lick the the cream filling. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was a real brand, I, or it could have just been made by the props department for the show. So they didn't have to pay any royalties to Oreo or Hydrox. <laughs> Hydrox. So that is just whack. <laughs> Google it. You'll, it's real. Could, it's absolutely I, real. I believe you. I just think it was like the bargain name. brand <laughs> that you could find. I just feel like when you bite into one, it's going to taste like, like bleach. Like, <laughs> yeah, well it tasted close enough to an Oreo that I, as a kid, that I couldn't really tell the difference. <laughs> I mean, sugar is sugar, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'll confess, but. I ate six Oreos before we started recording because I got inspired by the episode. <laughs> My parents had some double stuffed at their house, and I. But you didn't. When I left you didn't it. get baked before that, right? <laughs> I did not get baked. <laughs> that would make this episode really interesting if I did. <laughs> or maybe I don't remember getting baked. Maybe I am right now, but I seriously doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. I, okay, I, you good. seem normal enough. <laughs> My eyes look okay with the glasses. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we're back at the Cardiff Cubes after that, and the app ideas are flowing. They're being presented, and they are lame. Like, these are awful. You've got a moon phase calendar. You've got a beekeeping simulator. <laughs> and Joe's like, so, Cameron was the only one of you that had any real ideas? And you don't say that to programmers no. because they are like Lord of the Flies, okay? They're going to defend <laughs> yeah. their own and they will eat you alive. And someone claps back and says, well, what are your ideas, yeah. sir? <laughs> and I think it uh, kind of sobers him up a little bit. It does. And I actually, the way he, the camera kind of holds on Joe after the one who said that, but I thought he was going to say, get, get your things and get out of here. I, I honestly thought he was going to like fire him on the spot because no one talks back to him. Well, not usually outside of like Cameron or maybe Boz, you know, but no, the underlings rarely speak to him that way. So I thought he was just going to snap at the, at that, but no, just, it just cuts back to the Clark house where Donna is eating her Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't find anything as as we're doing this. I cannot find any twist O's. 
uh, Walmart's generic brand uh, is called a Twist and Shout. Uh, okay. <laughs> twist and Shout. Yeah. Twist and Shout. That's how good they are. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think there's a there's another brand called Cream Betweens. <laughs> These names are terrible. That's like so obvious. <laughs> Did you find Hydrox? H-Y-D-R-O-X. H-Y-D-R-O-X. Yeah, Sorry, Hydrox. I'm doing Google searching right now. <laughs> this is very important. Oh, gosh, they're here. <laughs> they're here, guys. Oh, my goodness. Hydrox. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that's a terrible name. It's so bad. The font makes it look like they're some kind of like fancy, I <laughs> fancy <know>. cookie. <laughs> they're not. Anyway. Okay. They were much cheaper. They were first, but here's the thing. They were first introduced in 1908. So, to the royal who, family? Because it looks so like they which were was first, <laughs> Oreo or Hydrox? That's the question. I'll bet it was Hydrox. And then they were like, guys, we got a better way to do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look. Oreo was created in 1912 as an imitation of Hydrox. Boom. Oh, my goodness. I just found it on good old Wikipedia. Oh, wow. The more you yeah. know. So Wikipedia <laughs> is telling me that Oreo is in fact the imitation brand, but well, I, I can tell you though that they were Oreo was the more expensive brand, and I know for a fact that my mother purchased the Hydrox because they were cheaper. So for whatever reason, they switched eventually, where Oreo became the kind of premium sandwich cookie, and yeah. Hydrox was the the discount brand. So Oreo was the Mac of the cookie world and <laughs> right. then the twist and shout became the pc is this there what you i'm going to say <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah if we're trying to bring it all around to so, uh yeah we're in the compatible business <laughs> <That's> <laughs> compatible <right>. cookies <laughs> they're cheap and fast you can put you put one oreo top on the top of a hydrox and mesh them together and you'll have a hydro hydrox hydroxio hydroxio <laughs> <laughs> Clean out your drain with hydroxios, <laughs> and then have a snack later. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah. Well, when Gordon comes home, as we mentioned, Donna's baked and eating their generic version of Oreos, and Gordon has this idea on how to get rid of Joe. He says, "What is Joe's weakness?" And Donna replies, "As Bullets. someone who is." <laughs> it's like, well, no, she <laughs> she replies very casually. Yeah. Casual wear. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. I love that. That's totally uh, a, that's totally someone who's high. What's what yeah. she would say? <laughs> she did a great job acting high too. I'm sure she wasn't really, and I, I just thought I loved all her expressions. She did a great job. She did, and I think it's so much fun when you have characters. Or actors who play characters that get to change those characters for yeah. a few minutes or for an episode. And I think it's why my wife and I kind of gravitate towards the nighttime dramas of things like Melrose Place. Because you'll have a character that loses their memory. And so they right. become a different person. <laughs> right. And it's just hilarious. Because you know they're just having a ton of fun being someone completely different than they're normally used to. And I yeah, think this is the same It's like a way. break. Yeah. A break from yeah. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie Boucher is definitely being a college student here. It's really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gordon says that Cameron is um, is Joe's kryptonite, and he has this idea about basically threatening to turn her in unless Joe leaves Cardiff. 
Donna convinces Gordon to use a print driver printout as, quote, proof of nefarious online activity. <laughs> like, Joe's right. never going to know this because he's an idiot. <laughs> I, and the I way she doubts. delivered was great. I mean, she, yeah. the way she just spouted out all the techno babble and it was all accurate information. It was just like Gordon's reaction too. It's just like staring at this printout, but this is just a printer driver, you know? And she's like, he doesn't know that. (laughs) So she's quite devious. She is. And smart. Yes. I mean, which we knew the the latter, but the former, I think, is starting to come front facing for this episode. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Meanwhile, Joe goes over to Cameron's house and this is a, this is a kind of, I say a nice scene. It's a it's a sobering scene since uh, you know we have people that need to get sober pretty quick. It's not Joe. Yeah. It's somebody else. But he wants Cameron to come back to Cardiff or form her own company or start their own anything to work with her again. And I think part of this, honestly, is due to the fact that he's desperate for ideas. He's desperate right. for inspiration. And I think he realizes in that moment that he doesn't have any real ideas. And so when she says what she says next, it's like he's getting the honesty. He's getting the conscience that is probably has been in his head, but is now a voice right in front of him of another person. And it's it's heartbreaking and also very much like, yeah, like I agree and I feel sorry for you, but not so much. You're a footnote. For a while, you had me fooled. I mean, I thought I heard a heartbeat. It wasn't a heartbeat. It was an echo. (laughs) I loved you because you recited my own ideas back to me and pretended they were your own. (laughs) You want to know the truth? You're still exactly what you were the day your mom let you fall off that roof. Yeah. Just a sad little boy with a lot of wasted potential. Like you said, he really is just grasping at straws. He'll do almost anything that he probably wouldn't have done or said a few weeks earlier. He has even said, I'll move to California with you because she had expressed interest in that's where the action is. That's where everything's happening. And so like, we'll go together. She just isn't buying it. And when she says, you're still that same little boy you were when your mom let you fall off the roof. That sad little boy. I, I was just like, ouch. You could see that he was visibly hurt by that. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the exclamation point for everything that she was saying. And then right. she shuts, she didn't slam the door. She just kind of shuts the door and he's left kind of cold and alone. And it reminded me of that scene where they truly reconciled earlier in the season. He comes to her door and he says, "Right, do you have anybody that you could call if you're in a storm. I don't. And I think that same honesty, that same vulnerability is now being sort of used on him as a means to say, you can't do that to me. Your vulnerability is a liability to me. And I think that's why she she closes the door and says, I can't do this. Yeah. She's just like moving on with her life now and she's fine with it, but he's clearly not. He's clearly still hung up on her and and just lost he doesn't know what to do he doesn't know what to do with with his career with his life he's unhappy with the giant he's just in a sort of a strange place in his life where he doesn't know who he is anymore it Mm -hmm. seems like yeah that's a that's a great way to put it that he's really just 
has no identity. Right. He was so confident the previous year in those eight months as they were building this product. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's like he's it, it kind of seems like he's back to where maybe he might have been when he first left IBM. Right. You know, pre season one when we you know, before we actually met him, that he's kind of back in that same position. Like, it's almost like history repeating itself. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. know how to see something through to completion without sort of doubting himself or being unhappy with what he's accomplished. He just, there's something missing. Right. So the next day at Cardiff, Joe shows up at 1130. Gordon isn't happy with that, but that's definitely better than the programmers who didn't show up at all. And that's when we find out they're working for mutiny and we don't get long to kind of question what is mutiny because it's now Cameron's new headquarters. Using like the, how did uh, my question with this? If this is the next day, how did Cameron start up a new company and get all those people to come over like twelve hours <laughs> later? Like, or, yeah, you know, like it was one of those things where in, this happens in in TV shows a lot. I find that that sometimes things seem to happen too quickly. Like there isn't really enough time for something to to unfold the way they're telling you it is and it seemed like to me this this should have taken several weeks at least for the employees to sort of slowly start you know jumping ship and like where are they all going you know it just felt too fast to me but that's my only kind of of this episode that's my only real criticism yeah i think there was some time lapse and i would say if there's any lag or any time that is like a longer duration it's before that conversation with Joe and Cameron. Like, I really believe that right. he has a conversation with her. She's already decided and has already started this whole thing with mutiny. That's true. It, it could have been something that she had already been working and developing and planning, but it just happened to coincide, you know, that they were all going to walk out the day after that conversation took place. I mean, we could throw the theory against the wall that they were pulling a Joe McMillan and throwing like crap ideas at him. So true. That he wouldn't, they could you know, stall kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not get, uh, yeah, yeah. Not give him anything. Yeah. Cause like they mm-hmm. didn't, not one of them presented a, a game idea, which is clearly what mutiny is all about. It's about kind of networked gaming. That's the primary mm-hmm. business model that yeah. she's trying to establish. I was really glad we got quickly into this because mm-hmm. it was a cool concept to discover and she goes to Donna's house to offer her a job at Mutiny. Mm-hmm. And Donna asks, what's this about? You know, what is it? And I love how she describes it, as you sort of alluded to. It's about connecting people, playing games across phone lines with real humans. So this is the very first online gaming, BBS, modem, you know, things that I think you and I were exposed to. Like I, I did a lot with chat rooms, you know, IRC chat. And I never played any online games per se, because I wasn't necessarily into the text-based stuff. My MO was Nintendo, you know, the good GUI and the the 8-bit graphics. And that was never a part of my early days of online connection. But I think that that connecting people, that's the why. And the playing games is the how for for Cameron. Yeah. And they've been building up to the fact that they all love playing games together, you know, like adventure or whatever. They, They enjoy playing together so that the idea of sort of expanding it to a more global player base is is the next step 
you know, oh, we have everyone in the office playing together. What if we could have people in other offices playing with us too? And what, that's that's amazing. So, and yeah. she she alludes to this in like in the very first episode. She talks about the idea of networking computers, and and it's like she's been thinking about this. They've they've kind of laid that track very early on for her character. For sure, Donna's skeptical. She thinks it's a revenge offer. And again, just like when Cameron quits her job very casually and, you know, no regrets, no apologies, no hard feelings, she goes, okay, and she leaves. That's kind of where we're left for a little bit. And then we get to Gordon's office. Joe concedes that the giant's ready to ship. From this point on, Adam, what I see is Joe is in like an episodic funk, like the rest of the episode. He is just sort of deadpan. There's nothing that he wants to offer. I mean, he is depressed. He's just going through uh, the paces kind of. Exactly. You know. The Lee paces really. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if only Ethan Hunt were here to help him out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> to could help him out with shot. his next mission. Exactly. <laughs> if he chose to accept it. Yeah. As long as it included a slingshot. <laughs> Sorry. So back at the Clark house, Gordon looks fantastic in a tailored suit. Just want to say that speaking yeah. of Ethan Hunt and you know looking good. The uh, <laughs> This is I think there's a big I guess it's a launch party essentially where yeah. they go into to Cardiff to and kind of do this. I think it's to celebrate the first shipment of units that are going to go to probably one of the local yeah. stores or something. Donna has him take his glasses off and he's nervous. He uses the brush to get his beard all straight. And he's like, yeah. just give me 10 minutes. And we're like, what are you, what are you going to do? You're just taking your job. Are you, you changing into your regular, like Dwight Schrute outfit? Is that what you're comfortable with? But no, we find out that Gordon is beardless. We're at the Cardiff party and man, he looks so different without a beard and without glasses. Like, yeah. Scoot McNary is a different dude altogether. I remember when I first saw this, I was like, what? Yeah. Where'd your beard yeah. go? You look amazing. Clean shaven, no glasses, suit, hair slicked back. Yeah. Donna made him into a new man. For and they're this both one talking event. For this one event. Yeah. Not yeah. <laughs> Maybe for the future. We don't know. Yeah. But Donna is uh, with him and they're talking to some, I guess, some retailer or lady who is asking her, he's like, what do you do for a living? She goes, well, I'm kind of between jobs, not really doing anything. And that lady's like, well, that's a conversation killer. I'm going to go get a drink. (laughs) This was such a weird, awkward, and the two actresses really delivered. Like the tension and awkwardness was was palpable. Like you just like, they were like, oh yeah. Like they were starting to say things and they weren't saying anything. Then they were like looking away, like I'm going to walk away. But then they, they didn't walk away. And I've been in those weird, awkward social scenes where you're like, you just don't know what to do with yourself because clearly you've, you know, the conversation is done, but like, you don't know how to get yourself out, get out of, of the it. situation. Yeah. And that's when you're supposed to say the expression, I need to go see a man about a horse. That, that's where that expression came from. <laughs> you have to say, you have to say that. And it allows you to get out of a situation that you otherwise don't want to get out of. Look, look it up. That's yeah. actually the the correct use of that expression. But the euphemism is is bathroom humor. Is bathroom That's what it's talking. become. But originally it was designed oh, to be okay. a way, if you're in a social setting, it was a way for you to kind of say, like, I don't 
want to talk with you anymore. So I want to go someplace else and talk to somebody else. So you would say, well, it's great to meet you. I need to go see a man about a horse. It was just like a way to get yourself out of a situation. And it's become more of a, a bathroom. So try it out next time that. you're at an you office party. Yeah. No, you can't say that because the colloquialism has overtaken the original intent. Uh, perhaps. Yeah. So or maybe you the, just go to the, the bathroom. Other, so the, yeah, that's okay. I got to go take a pee. Is that cool? Can we <laughs> yeah, do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say that to a lady. I don't think ladies would say that to each other, but no, no. I'll tell you the more awkward thing, or maybe it's less awkward. It's still awkward is when you come into a conversation with two other people and you're joining and then they're continuing to talk and you're like, all right, I got to get out of here. So you're yeah, like, you do the yeah. call, you do the kind of look over and the the head nod. And then you're like, yeah. And then you just walk away. Cause you're yeah, like, like, if they're not, I'm not like, part of this. If they're not ex- ex- sort of in, including you enough. Yeah. Like they're just, con- yeah. If they're just continuing to, to have their one-on-one conversation and <laughs> you're kind of like, wheel. yeah, that's, oh yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, yeah. sorry guys. Yeah. I gotta go. See ya. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, what are you talking but to? But yeah, this nobody. this was a this was a well played scene because it mm-hmm. it just and just Donna's sort of big bright smile, like trying so hard just to you know be happy and polite and and not you know ruin her husband's big night. She did a great job. Yeah, lots of little things happening at this party. Um, right, Joe is staring unimpressed at the giant. I think it's inside the boardroom, but it's all like kind of lit up like a yeah, like, like a on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah. Is it spinning? To be fun, it, is it, it might have been. I I think it like yeah. My, in my head, it's spinning, but maybe that's maybe I just made that up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you thought it was spinning and I thought it was spinning, then clearly yeah. it was spinning. And then uh, Gordon and Donna go to the kill room where he presents her with the ring that he talked about in yeah. a previous episode. Great set of dialogue here. I darf you, fairy gurp. I'll darf you to the day I off. It's, it's so childish and stupid. They're such nerds. It's so adorable. Yeah, a bunch of nerds. Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, Gordon invites everyone out to the parking lot for the christening of the first shipment. And Joe is not having it. Like he is no. just a he is a wet blanket the rest of the rest of this episode. <laughs> he's, a, he's he's a party pooper. Poopa, party poopa, <laughs> as Thor would say. That's right. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we're outside Cardiff, where Gordon gives props to Joe and his wife. Such a great kind of eloquent speech here. He's really become like, if you think about it, the unlikely leader of this whole group. Like he, he was just a worker bee at the beginning of the season. And now he's kind of in charge of everything. Yeah. And he's the one that everybody kind of looks up to more than Joe. Yeah. And I think part of that is due to the fact that the product itself with Cameron being gone, he's now a hundred percent. It's his product. Right. Because it's not her, her OS anymore. Like it's somebody, right. it's DOS and his stuff. So it really is his product. Yeah. And I think, more, more fact, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that fact, along with the fact that Joe has sort of pulled himself back into the background, has migrated everybody to to that. But you're right. I mean- And Boz is gone, so he's not- Yes. You know, so it, it's like he's the, kind of the last man standing in a way, you know, just right. someone's got to take lead. Right. So he breaks the champagne on the side of the truck like it's a ship setting sail. I thought that was kind of right. cool with the with the rope around it. <laughs> right. Right. Take off. 
Did you see he, then, he holds up a fork triumphantly? I wasn't sure what that was all about. Hmm, didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't see that fork. After yeah. he smashes it, he like raises a fork up into the air. I was like, what's that? <laughs> Is that something I'm not aware of? Or like, what, was he eating cake with it and just forgot to put it down? Like, yeah. I think he just <laughs> accidentally. His Scoot McNary was at craft services and he forgot to put the fork like, oh, down. What's when this he was fork? Lunch. No, we'll just keep it. It'll make yeah. a nice baton of some kind. There you go. Before the scene ends, the party breaks up. He says to Joe, thanks for everything. And I really think he means that. Shakes his yeah. hand. Joe is still feeling weird about it all. But I like I like how Lee Pace smiles, uh, especially when he's being given the props by Gordon. I mean, he puts on a brave face. Like he if does. you didn't yeah. know what all he was feeling and the scenes that we saw him privately with Cameron, you would think everything's cool. And yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's what Gordon feels like. Hey, see you in the office tomorrow morning. It's like, yeah, see you in the office. Great job. Yeah. Bright and, and early. <laughs> Yeah. That's obviously not what happens. Things no. just go south from here. This is this is where the episode sort of takes a downward turn. Yes. Uh, if you could call it that. Gordon and Don are driving home in his Porsche. They get bumped, which turns into a hijacking. I'd forgotten about this, which reminds me, and I don't know that we ever got resolution about this. Do we do we ever find out who jumped Joe in the parking lot? I don't know. We never did. We, yeah. And we, there yeah. was always speculation that it was somebody at Cardiff, maybe, maybe Boz, maybe Nathan, or maybe Lulu. We don't know that someone might've set him up to uh, take a little punishment. I don't think that's the case here. This seems more random, but I could be wrong. I don't know what enemies Gordon has, except, you know, of course his ex-neighbor um, that he fired, maybe. Oh but, Yeah. But there was no evidence of that. I feel like it's implied that it's just, he's driving a Porsche. It's an expensive car. It's late at night. There's not a lot of cars on the road. If someone wants to try to carjack you, that's the time to do. And that's the car to carjack. So I yeah. think they didn't kill him or beat him up. I mean, they knocked him down just to get him out of the way. But the point was to get the car, right? If, yeah. If, I think, if you think about it. Yeah. No, I, I don't I don't think that it was connected to the other. It just reminded me yeah, that you know, right. you get somebody getting beat up in the they street. They both had random. similar yeah, incidents on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The conversation in the car was kind of funny because they're both sort oh, of yeah. buzzed and Donna yeah. Donna's recalls, pretty drunk. <laughs> Donna's great in this, man. Carrie yeah. Boucher is just killing it with the uh, inebriated Donna performance yeah. here. But I love how she talks about recalling when Joe basically followed them to the movie and she goes, do you to, think you yeah, to return to the Jedi? Movie? Yeah. Yeah. And Gordon's like, no, because I referred to the program as this Ewoks and he had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. And then she says, then she, yeah, she says, why did he have popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, why not? I mean, yeah. waiting out for Gordon to come out of the theater. You need something to snack on. But doesn't she, doesn't he say something or maybe she says it something like maybe he just wanted to feel like a normal person <laughs> or something like that. Something like that. And I was like, that's interesting. Like he's just playing the part of a normal human being instead of like going to the movie and watching it. He was just there to sort of catch Gordon on the way out and to make it look yeah. like he was a normal person going to the <laughs> movies. He has popcorn, you know? So yeah, yeah I, I think the whole point just being that, yeah, Joe is not like the rest of us. He's right in a different place. <laughs> Universe, mental yeah. space. <laughs> right. Well, that clearly becomes apparent in the next scene. Yes. He has driven the truck somewhere, which who leaves the keys to a truck that has all that equipment in it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Stupid. Whatever. 
I mean, $900 a pop if it's the full 100 units that they were mentioning. Maybe it was only 50. I don't know. But you're looking at upwards of, you know, $100,000 worth of uh, computers there. So Yeah. So he opens the back and proceeds to throw gasoline on it and set it on fire. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, as -hmm. someone who is the resident detective of this (laughs) podcast who (laughs) makes wildly accurate predictions at times did you see this coming and what did you make of this uh i absolutely did not see this coming nor did i see the carjacking coming these both of these incidents for me were out of left field but i can say that it's not out of joe's personality to do something like this as i mentioned earlier he seems to sort of never be able to see things through to completion and it's kind of like if he can't have it all his way, he doesn't want it at all or he doesn't want anything. It's like it's either it's like somebody who wants to draw a picture, like they see a picture, but if they can't make it perfect, they just want to crumble up the picture and throw it away. Like a kid trying to do something perfectly and they just can't allow themselves to take pleasure in that they did a good job and they or they did an adequate job. So yes, completely shocked by this event, but also in retrospect now kind of thinking about it, it doesn't feel it's not something that it now if Gordon had done this, I would say that's totally out of his character. But for Joe, I don't know why. It just feels like, yeah, I can see him doing that. So one of the things that I picked up from that, and I, I agree with your perspective, is I think it has to do with self-sabotage, this fear mm-hmm. of success. Right. Or not being good enough. Like he'll be judged. Yeah. Like she said, like Cam said, you'll, you're just a footnote. Like he doesn't want to be just a footnote. So if he allows his name to be attached to this product, that's all he'll ever be because it's going to be just a footnote in computing history. Sure. He, it's like he has to be more than that. But I think it, based off of what we saw a little later, I think it's because he doesn't know what real success is. Mm-hmm. If it means going through failures, if it means iterations, there's a lot of this stuff. I think a lot of what you're saying makes sense. Maybe added to that, I think there's a sense of the fear of success of like, wow, is this how I'll define myself? As you mentioned, mm-hmm. if this leads to him just being a footnote, if this is all there is, if this is as good as it gets. Right. I think that's probably what his motivation was, which is this can't be the end. It's something yeah. else. I don't know what it is, but it can't be this. And I think that's why right. he sets the, the truck on fire. And it's almost like more than anything, I feel like it's symbolic for him. Like he has to do this for himself, not because he wants to sabotage the giant as a product, because it's not going to affect that one truck is not going to affect the rollout. I'm sure those trucks were insured. I'm sure they'll be fine. <laughs> it won't affect them long term. But I think he needed to sort of make this gesture for himself. Like he needed to do this to say, like, I am done with this. I have to like cut the cord and move on because I'm not happy. I settled and I'm not happy with myself. So I'm going to burn yeah. this one truck and I'm going to basically run away. And I think there was maybe some potential hinting back to that speech he was going to give in the last episode that gave us the right. title, the up heli ah about oh, right, the yeah. Viking mm-hmm. ship that was burned right in the ritual. I don't know enough. That's about- a good point. I didn't even think about that, how you would go into the town square and the winner would set it on fire. Right. It's, that's the story he tells. That's a good connection. I didn't even put together that maybe yeah, he I sees it- this as, as his victory fire, you know, like I'm going to burn this and then move on. 
I don't know. It's, well, yeah, and I think it's also about burning the identity of who he was this whole season. Like he's ready to right. start over because he throws his jacket in there too. I mean, that was an he interesting does. kind of exclamation point of like, look, this isn't me anymore. I'm done. Right. Because the next time we I, see him, he's mm-hmm. clearly not the Joe McMillan that we know. Like he's, no. he's done. More rugged. With, yeah. Yeah. He's done with Cardiff Electric at this point. So I thought that was kind of a, not a fitting ending, but I thought that was a great way to start this transference that we begin to see near the end of the episode. So that same night, the carjacking takes place. Gordon and Donna have been to the hospital. They come home. It's this really cool kind of quiet scene. The camera, it never moves. It sits kind of back with pictures in front of it. It's Mm -hmm. like behind some pictures. They're coming in. Donna's in a sling. It's very somber. She sits down and she looks at the pictures, but we never see what she's looking at. Right. And then the phone rings and the scene ends. And I'm like, what is, what's going it's on? It's really here? strange. Yeah. Yeah. My first thought was maybe it was somebody notifying them about either about the car being hijacked or about the truck being set on fire. Those are my two, yeah. two thoughts. Because clearly they had gone to the hospital. They obviously had to call the police. They had to go to the emergency room for her to get her cast, all of that. So some time had transpired that evening. But yeah, maybe someone discovered the truck had been burned and they call Gordon because he's basically the head of the company at this point if they can't reach Joe McMillan. Mm-hmm. I think it's the latter. I think it's the truck, not the, not yeah. the car at this point. Because they don't have the car three weeks well, later. Well, right. Yeah. It, it, I guess it would only be if someone is like, oh, we found your car stripped, you know, in the chop shop down around the corner or something. Yeah. It turned into a van that you're driving now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. The next scene is at the Clark house again. And I think it's a few days or a couple of weeks later because um, – Donna is her cast is all, you know, decorated yeah. with people. Gordon's making breakfast for the girls who are completely ungrateful about everything. <laughs> I want creamy. I want crunchy. I don't like apricot. You suck yeah. as a dad. You know, just things like that. Like, Come on, girls. What are you <laughs> yeah. doing? Give your dad a break. And he's and he's he's being so understanding. I have to say, yes. he's a he's a he's, he's a good with, dad. He's rolling with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Donna seems distant and unsatisfied. Gordon leaves, but comes back. I think he's grabbing something, not car keys, but he's grabbing something else. And he kind of does this gentle speech like, listen, that night I would have, if something had happened to you, I don't know what I would have done. And he tells her, you've got to get back in the field. You've got to do something with your life. I know you're unhappy. Come work at Cardiff. Be the head engineer. And she respectfully turns him down. But I love that she says, thank you for asking. That means a lot. And I think that sort of rectifies what she said in the hotel room at Comdex where she's like, it would have been nice to be asked. But then she tells him she has another offer that she's going to take. Now, one thing I don't know is he asks, where is it? And then we see the next scenes at Mutiny. Do you think she tells him? Because there's no indication that she tells him. And if she did... Would he support that? Because because he and Cameron don't have a great relationship. Yeah, but I also I don't think he even knows about Cameron's startup at this point. I don't think anyone's aware of it outside of those programmers. They they all know that they left to go somewhere, right? But I don't think they ever told them. Yeah, they did because he comes. They did because Joe comes in. He says you're late. Oh, but don't worry, all the programmers left. And somebody says they went to go work for Mutiny. Oh, right. Joe goes, what's that? And Gordon goes. What do you think? Oh, God. So okay. He knows so that it's, he does. Yeah. Know. So I do wonder if she tells him 
and he's okay with it or if there's going to be some tension because she ends up there anyway. It's not like yeah. they have this conversation. Uh, yeah. but. Then I would imagine she would say, tell him because he's going to find out eventually. And I think they're at a better place now in their marriage where they are communicating and other, I mean, she's clearly having some PTSD from yeah. the carjacking, but that's not connected to her marriage or anything. It's just a traumatic experience that she's trying to sort of cope with. But I, I, yeah. I'm sure she will she would tell him. I, I don't okay. think there's any reason why she would keep it a secret. Sure. Uh, yeah. That's but. true. So the next scene is at mutiny and Cameron offers up this inspiring speech to the coders ending with her saying a lot of people are going to want us to fail. And that's because we're the future and there's nothing scarier than that. And I feel yeah. like that's a callback to something that Bosworth told her. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I thought, man, that's so cool because yep. clearly even though he's probably in prison, we don't really know where he is, but he <laughs> right. still lives in the hearts of his surrogate daughter here with, That's right. with the folks at Mutiny. I love that. I mean, she may have never done this if it wasn't for Bosworth sort of taking her under his wing and kind of helping her realize that she's got something special and that she should do something with that. And this is when Donna walks in and they, they share a smile. So yeah. Donna is now officially part of Mutiny. Then we're back at the boardroom at Cardiff. One of the engineers is reading an article about the Giants, and everyone seems good with where they are, except <laughs> <Yeah>. Gordon. <laughs> yeah, of course. I he's mean, becoming again, Joe. <laughs> he's, he's becoming yeah. Joe. That's exactly because he says, so what's next? And they even say, well, if Joe were here, he'd have us building a rocket ship. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. we, we signed true. out for sure. Yeah, yeah Joe's yeah. not with the company anymore. And I, I guess, as you mentioned, that the fire wasn't too bad of a setback since they've apparently shipped enough to get an article in this in this magazine. Yeah. I just, again, I, I find it so interesting how these four characters, and this is kind of where we get a little culmination of all these characters, how they've just changed and how they're all trying to find a new sense of satisfaction that is not with the giant. So for the yeah. whole season, everything is centered around the giant and its success. Right. And by the end of the season, all four of these characters have sort of jettisoned the giant as their thumbs up. This is the the mark that I've made. And they're just trying to find satisfaction elsewhere. It's, it's beautiful, right. actually. I love the way that yeah. it finishes. Yeah. And if you think about just a company of Cardiff now as a PC company, if you think about what it was... At the beginning of the season, as I said before, Gordon's the last man standing. No more Boz. Nathan's kind of, you know, out of the picture. He's still technically the owner of the company, but he's doing his his retirement thing. No more Cam. No more Joe. And almost everybody else <laughs> left too. All the engineers and mm -hmm. and programmers. So it's like, who would have thought that the drunk guy from the opening of the first episode would end up running the company? Yeah. Hopefully not into the ground because right, as you right, mentioned, right. nobody's there. That's going to be a support system that was that's, there. So they need to do some hiring, some good hiring. <laughs> yeah. The episode finishes with a few scenes. You've got Joe at this gas station. He's rugged. Look a great, a great change of wardrobe to really indicate a change in Joe. Yeah. Driving a truck. He has got a stargazing map. He's going to this observatory and apparently somebody lives there. And so he treks off into the woods. <laughs> I got this really interesting thought in my head of like Walden or Henry David Thoreau, mm. like going into the woods and just sort of finding your own 
this whole idea of transcendentalism, just sort of a, I'm getting away from all technology. I'm getting away from right. all people. It's like the opposite of what he's been sort of immersed in for his yeah. entire professional career. He's now going the polar opposite from that because they don't give us any clue as to what he's doing, where he's going or why he's doing it. My two guesses are either that he's kind of going, like you said, kind of going on a vision quest to discover himself or figure out who he is or what he wants to do next with his life. That or maybe he's working, maybe he's continuing his his search for his mother that they talked about, that they sort of mention earlier in the season, mm -hmm. where when yeah. he left IBM, he went looking for his mom to try to find her. But I don't think he ever did. I don't think that ever resulted in him locating her so maybe she's the person by this fisk observatory that he's i, I don't know, again don't say anything because i know you've seen the entire series but <laughs> this is where my brain went 11 lives up there <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right in the cabin and hops in the cabin. hops cabin <laughs> universe is crossing <laughs> yeah i mean mr clark you know we did get a mr clark sighting in this episode he was there he, he was yeah i don't think His he had a mustache and full yeah. effect <laughs> yeah sorry sorry mr clark's twin brother sorry yes you're right we haven't confirmed that he's moved to <laughs> moved to <laughs> indiana just yet anyway so uh so donna gets introduced to the team at mutiny there's a just unspoken great little nonverbal scene and then Gordon sits quietly in the Cardiff boardroom. I was going to say boredom, but I feel like that's kind of <laughs> yeah. what he was probably thinking is boredom. Like, what are we going to do next? And the shot's really cool because it's it's a low angle looking up, similar to what we saw in the Comdex prep scene where they're putting the donut and the stapler and whatnot. And that shot's actually looking above from like the the mirror on the top. Same kind of thing, only it's just a low-angled shot. Tension, I don't know if it's a Dutch angle per se, but it definitely creates this ominousness that you know he's by himself, everything else is dark. He's running the company, but can he really do it? And I think that's the question we have is, right, right. is he really happy where he is in where Cardiff is? And right. I don't know. I feel like- And he's, he's uh, like, if you notice, he, however many weeks or months forward this now is from when they- had that launch party and he shaved his beard, he's still sporting the uh, clean shaven look. So he has changed both physically and also kind of from a being more of a, a worker to a leader. And but again, is that what he wants? Is that who mm -hmm. he is? is? Is that what he's destined to be? Or does he really want to be making like Joe something that will change the world or like he was hoping to do with a symphonic back in the early days of his career? So there's a lot of, like we were saying at the very start of this episode, there's a lot of sort of loose threads with our characters that uh, I'm sure will be picked up on in uh, season two. The question is, will mm -hmm. it jump forward in time or will it kind of pick up right where we left off? I'm always curious how, because some shows will jump forward sometimes 10 years into the future and you'll see where everybody is now and kind of have to fill in the time difference with some exposition. But and, and other shows will pick up right where you left off. The, it might be like, oh, here's Joe on his mountain trek. And oh, look, he found the observatory. It's like the next day or something. <laughs> so I'm excited. I, I, I'm sad, as I said, to see this season come to an end because I, I really enjoyed it and really love these characters. And, and just I like this, this period and, and history as well. It's, it's a fascinating one. 
well it'll it'll get better and i'm glad you you enjoyed it enough to say we're going to definitely continue this so this will fall into the same kind of category as our stranger things definitely gonna continue yeah. to cover it as we move through all of these series that at we're some enjoying. point yeah yeah at some point they'll get picked up keep sticking around we're finished with this series for the time being but be sure to check out our next conversation celebrating the world of long-form storytelling until then i'm patch he's adam and we are out of here